welcome to Baptist Perspective with Jimmy Barber. Whether you're listening while driving home from work, sitting with a hot cup of coffee, or making dinner, we hope this podcast will be thought-provoking and edifying. Now, here with today's episode is Jimmy Barber. We previously saw that justification is a legal term that does not change a person, but it merely declares a person to be what he is, just or righteous. It is the opposite of condemnation. Therefore, when a person is condemned in a court of law, it does not make the person guilty. It simply declares him to be what he is. And conversely, when the judge declares a person not guilty, he is simply publicly saying that the individual is not guilty. Therefore, since justification is a forensic term, that pronounces a person to be just, how is it that a guilty sinner can be not guilty before God? Romans 5, 6 tells us that Christ died for the ungodly. Also, in Romans 4, 5, we are told that God justifieth the ungodly. And since all mankind died and sinned in Adam, Romans 5, 12, and we are conceived in sin, Psalm 51.5, how is it that one can be declared to be just before the law of God? In other words, how can a guilty person be legally just before God? It is true that a person may commit a crime and sentenced to be punished for the crime committed and later pardoned. However, though pardoned, he is still guilty for committing the crime. Yet, in defining the meaning of justification, we saw that justification is a pronouncing a person righteous according to the law as though he had never sinned. Again, we ask, how can this be? I believe this can be resolved by understanding the meaning of the word surety. Hebrews 7.22 says, By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Without explaining this verse in its context, let us focus on the word surety. This Greek word, engulos, is only used here in the New Testament, and the general meaning is that of a bondsman. In Webster's 1828 Dictionary, we find this definition, quote, In law, one that is bound with and for another, one who enters into a bond or reconnaissance to answer for another's appearance in court, or for his payment of a debt, or for the performance of some act, and who, in case of the principal debtor's failure, is compellable to pay the debt or damages as a bondsman avail. End of quote. A simple illustration might give further insight to the meaning of surety. The first vehicle I purchased, my father signed the note because I did not have enough collateral or security to cover the cost of the vehicle in case I failed to pay for it. My father was well known in our community, and he was so well respected that he could borrow money 
in his name alone from banks in two separate towns. Nevertheless, when he signed the note for the vehicle I was buying, it meant that in reality, he was responsible for the note and would have to pay it if I failed to do so. Obviously, I respected my father and the barber name and did not want to spoil it either. Equally, I wanted to please my father, and thereby I never missed a payment. My father was the surety for my note. Christ is not only the surety of a better covenant, but obviously he is equally the surety of the election of grace. The subject of election was covered in a previous podcast, but it would be good to review it somewhat at this time. Ephesians 1.4 informs us that some were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, that they should be holy and without blame before God. This Greek word, aomas, translated without blame, carries the idea of unblemished. It is not only translated without blame, but also unblameable and faultless. Since it is only used seven times in the New Testament, it would be good to look at the other uses to get a fuller understanding of the intensity of the word. In Ephesians 5.27, we find that the ecclesia, or congregation, of God is to be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish before the Lord. In Colossians 1.22, we are told that the redeemed will be presented holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Hebrews 9.14 and 1 Peter 1.19 declare that Christ is without spot and without blemish. Jude 24 declares that the redeemed will be presented faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And lastly, in Revelation 14.5, we find those redeemed were identified as being without fault before the throne of God. Therefore, when we were told that we were chosen in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy, and without blame before God, it is self-evident that Christ is the surety of the elect and was set up to be so in eternity past. From the beginning, Christ was the surety of the election of grace and the full payment would fall on him. As Ephesians 1.4 says, we were chosen in Christ to be holy and without blame before God. The verse furthermore says that this election was in accordance with the love of God. This brings us to John 17, 24. It says, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, 
I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. End of quote. Here we find that God loved his sheep, elect believers, as he loved the Son, and furthermore that this love was before the foundation of the world. What a profound thought. God not only loves us in Christ before the world, but he loved us as he loved the Son. In other words, there was never a moment in eternity when God began to love the election of grace. They were always loved in the Son and loved as much as he loved the Son. We are creatures of time, and the concept of eternity is beyond our comprehension. This is not the case with the eternal triune God. There was no beginning with God, and, obviously, there will be no ending with Him. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.10 This is what God revealed to Moses when he told him that his name is I Am. God does not change. He does not increase in any attribute, nor does he decrease. As John 17, 23-24 declares, there was never a time when the Lord did not love his sheep. God did not decide at some moment that he would love and give some to Christ. This was established in his eternal being. While our love to him waxes and wanes continually, his love is ever the same. In fact, we will not be loved more when we are glorified than we are now. Truly, we can sing the hymn by W. Tucker as found in a selection of hymns for public worship by William Gadsby, number 65, entitled Election in Christ, Ephesians 1, 5, 11, and 2 Timothy 1, 9. Listen to the words. Expand, my soul, arise and sing the matchless grace of Zion's King. His love as ancient as his name, let all thy powers aloud proclaim. Chosen of old, of old approved, in Christ eternally beloved, adopted to and children made, ere sin is baleful, poison spread. Though sin and guilt infest them here, in Christ they all complete appear. The whole that justice e'er demands, Receive full payment from his hands. In him the Father never saw the least transgression of his law. Perfection then in him we view. His saints in him are perfect too. Then let our souls in him rejoice as favored objects of his choice. Redeemed and saved by grace we sing. Eternal praise to Christ our King. Yes. Christ being our surety from all eternity, Mr. Tucker stated it gloriously when he penned, In him the Father never saw the least transgression of his law. Perfection then in him we view, his saints in him are perfect too.
Yes, we fell in Adam, and by nature are sinners from conception. Historically, we were lost and dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1. But prior to our fall and sinful condition, God ever saw us justified in the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though Christ actually completed the payment for the sins of his people some 2,000 years ago, God always saw us in our surety. While it is true that we do not experience the benefits of justification in our conscience until faith, the fact of justification must be prior to faith. Faith does not create. The truth and state of justification must first be established before we believe because justification does not change a person or make a person righteous. Justification merely pronounces a person to be what he already is, righteous before the holy law of God. Yes, God ever saw his sheep secure in Christ, the surety, from all eternity. Nothing summarizes this glorious truth more than 2 Timothy 1.9, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. May the Lord sanctify this truth to our soul more and more each day, so that we might honor and glorify our Lord Jesus Christ increasingly as we live out our lives on this earth. However, our time is up for today. Farewell. Thank you for listening to today's edition of Baptist Perspective. We archive our episodes so you can go back anytime and listen again. Do you have a question about something you've heard or just want to let us know you're listening? Visit us at baptistperspective.wordpress.com. That's baptistperspective.wordpress.com. Thanks again for listening.